Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. We will be reading in the third chapter this morning. And I'm glad to be back in the pulpit. I've been away for a while now. And my wife asked me last night if she said, are you preaching tomorrow? I said, yes, I am. She said, do you still remember how to do it? (laughs) To which I said, I don't think I ever learned how to do it. Those of you who do stand here and preach, you know what I'm talking about. You prepare all you want, but you wait for the Spirit of God. To take hold of us and to do something through us. I still love that old saying for that first preacher that impacted my life a long time ago. He said, God can strike a mighty lick with a crooked stick. (laughs) And so we just have to be available. Well, we were studying uh, in the book of Malachi. And then we took a break a month or so back. And we have now returned, and we'll try to make our way on through the book of Malachi. We're in the third chapter now. And since it's been a while, let me just give you an update. What Malachi the prophet says, and I think it is extremely significant that it is the last book in the Old Testament looking forward to the New Testament, the time when Jesus Christ would come, the Messiah. And Malachi is is getting the nation ready. His words will be the last written prophetic words for the nation of Israel before Jesus arrives on the scene. And what Malachi says to them, he says to the nation of Israel, God loves you. He's always loved you. That's what he says to the nation. And then he says to them, he is worthy of worship. Real, genuine worship. Uh, not just going through a ritual and a routine, but worshiping God with everything you are and everything you have. And then he says to them, and this is kind of how we made our way to this point. And then he says to them, God wants your heart. He wants all of your heart. He wants you to give him your heart. He, He doesn't want your faith to be a part of your life. He wants it to be who you are. He wants your faith to define you. This is who I am. And then Malachi talks about a very sensitive subject. He talks about marriage. And he says to the men of Israel, Do not deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. What he says to them is marriage is a sacred institution. It is a covenant made before a holy God that must be honored. And then Malachi lets them know that even the little things matter when it comes to God. He talks to them about his, their words. He says, your words have to be right. Your words have to line up with God's word. You have to say what God says. You can't contradict 
what the Bible says, what God says. And the caution is never call good evil and never call evil good. Uh, just don't, don't get those two confused. And listen to this. Be careful. Never let one word come out of your mouth that would cause somebody who's living in sin to think it's all right. Or that God looks favorably upon it. Because He doesn't. See, He's dealing with these things. But then by the time we get to the third chapter, He begins His third chapter by saying, The Lord whom you seek. He's coming. He's coming to save you. You long for Him. You've looked for Him. You've prayed for Him. This is something you've wanted. And He is coming to save you. And when He does, when it happens, it will happen suddenly. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but I love that word suddenly in the Scriptures. I mean, you find it all over the Old Testament, all over the New Testament. Our God is a suddenly God. He just has a way of suddenly showing up. And Malachi says when He comes, it will happen suddenly. When the Apostle Paul gave his own personal testimony, guess what he said? He said, I was on that Damascus road, and suddenly... A light shone around me, and I fell to the ground. And a voice from heaven spoke to me. Happened suddenly. And then I like the day of Pentecost. I I know you're familiar with these, but it says, on the day of Pentecost, they were in the upper room, and they were praying. And this is what they reported. And suddenly, there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite suddenlies is Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. It was midnight. They'd been beaten. They were in chains. Things couldn't look any worse. And they're singing praise to God. What a strange place to be singing. What a strange time to be singing at midnight. And this is what they reported. And suddenly, there was an earthquake. And the prison doors opened. And their shackles fell. Well, Malachi says he's coming. And when he comes, it will be sudden. It will take place suddenly. And he will arrive on the scene. But then Malachi says something else. He said it will not just be sudden. It will be shocking. Now this is something that's new to the nation of Israel. When he comes, he will appear on the scene. And it will happen suddenly. But it will be shocking. Let me read the text and then I'll tell you the story. We'll begin in verse 1, chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. And I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. 
Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Let's take just a few moments this morning and examine this. What's going on? You see, in the nation of Israel, they had been praying for, they had been looking for and longing for a Savior, a Redeemer, who would show up on the scene and deliver them from their enemies. And Malachi is now saying to them, the one whom you seek, he is coming. And when it happens, it will happen suddenly. And He is coming to save you. But it's not what you think. Your concept of a Messiah, a Redeemer, a Savior is flawed. Malachi lets them know that when He comes, He is not coming to save you from your enemies. He's coming to save you from you. He's coming to purge you. He's coming to purify you. He's coming to do a work of righteousness in you. He's not coming into the world to judge your enemies. Oh, there will be a judgment day and people will have to answer, but that's not why the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is on a search and save and rescue mission. That's why He's coming into the world. Not to judge your enemies. Not to deliver you from your enemies. He's coming to judge you and show you how you can be delivered. Very important point, and some people miss this, friends. You see, when you meet Jesus Christ... He fixes you. He doesn't fix the world around you. How many of you know that to be true? Wouldn't it be wonderful if when you get saved, your boss got saved? Wouldn't it it be wonderful if your husband got saved, and your wife got saved, and your children got saved, and your dog got saved, and the whole world is just a wonderful, beautiful place once you get saved? It will be rare that you'll hear statements like I'm about to make. But friends, sometimes when you get saved, when you meet Jesus, your world doesn't get better. Sometimes it gets worse. Sometimes it does. I I was pastoring up in Georgia some years ago, and a guy by the name of Zach, he was a drinking, cussing, fussing, fighting, carousing, I can't think of anything else to describe him. He was a bad guy. And we started praying for Zach. And one day I had the privilege of leading Zach to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he prayed and he repented of his sins. And he trusted Jesus. And and I'm going to tell you, it was kind of an amazing thing. Because the moment he trusted Jesus, he started singing. And he had one of the most beautiful tenor voices I'd ever heard in my life. He didn't even know he could sing. I didn't know he could sing. Nobody knew he could sing. And he got saved. And he got saved good. And about two weeks later in the middle of the night, my phone rings and his wife calls me and she said, you've got to come over here before I kill him. He's running me crazy. 
I flung his clothes out in the yard. I want him out of here. You need to come quickly, Pastor. I did, but I didn't want to. I'm telling you, it was a bad situation. She threw his stuff out, she ran him out, and she divorced him. I'm going to tell you, sometimes getting saved to get you fired. Sometimes people who say they love you won't love you anymore. I'm, I'm, being, I'm being honest with you. He doesn't fix the world around you when you get right with Him. He fixes you. He fixes what's wrong on the inside of you. And the truth of the matter is, sometimes all hell breaks loose on the outside. But the good news is, all heaven is breaking loose on the inside. Because you've trusted Jesus, and He cleanses your heart. And He does something wonderful on the inside, and it's worth it all. Now, what Malachi says is he's not going to judge your enemies, he's going to judge you. And Malachi puts it in a courtroom setting. As if court has been convened, you're the one on trial, and Jesus is the one witnessing and testifying. Now friends, that's a scary situation. That's nerve-wracking right there. And Malachi actually gives a list of things. It's a short list. I'm sure that there are many other things. But Malachi says that when he comes, when the Messiah, the Lord whom you seek, when he comes, he'll show up suddenly. And it will be shocking. Because he will be a swift witness against you. He, He will... Be a swift witness against sorcerers. That's those who play around with evil. Against adulterers. That's those who are living immoral lives. Against perjurers. That's those who are dishonest and are constantly lying. Against uh, exploiters. That's those who take advantage of others for their own greedy gain and selfish gain. Against those who abuse the weak, like widows and orphans, and listen to this, and to those who turn away the alien. Now I want to just stop right here just for a second, because I need to talk to you about this. I don't know where you stand about this southern border and building the wall and what we should do as a nation there. In fact, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know where I stand on that. You see, sometimes when people talk to me about a wall, I think absolutely, positively, uh, you don't even have to think about this. We need us a wall. We need the security. We need the protection. But then sometimes I think, billions of dollars? Five, six billion dollars? What could we do with that to help those people? And I'm, I'm, I'm back and forth. And immediately after the service, you can straighten me out politically. And I'll, I'll listen. And more than likely, I'll agree with you. But friends, there is no debating what I'm about to say. In your Christian life, you cannot build a wall that shuts the alien out. You cannot build a wall that says you can't come in. The weak, the helpless, the alien, the person who's less fortunate than you, the person who's on hard times, if you build a wall and shut them out, our Lord will be a swift 
witness against you. And you don't want that. Before I move on, let me just tell you this. Every one of us in this house, every one of us, there's not an exception, every one of us here should be helping somebody who's less fortunate. Amen. Uh, sometimes we think if we could get us a, a real flamboyant preacher and a better music program, we could, we could build us a church of thousands. No, friends, you want to build a church of thousands? Tear the wall down. Amen. Tear the wall down and start showing the love of Jesus to people who need it the most. And I'll tell you, we'd be in trouble around here for space. Well, enough of that. Verse 2 says, But who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when He appears? You, you see... He's coming. And when He comes, He will be a witness, a, a, a sudden and shocking witness against you. He's talking to them as a nation and you won't be able to handle it. Basically, in layman's terms, this is what He's saying. He was saying, when He comes, when He shows up, you won't be able to stand up. When He shows up, you won't be able to hold yourself up. In the courtroom of His presence, we are all defenseless. One more time. Who can endure the day of His coming and who can stand when He appears? Years ago, there was an evangelist by the name of Jim Hilton. I'm sure some of our pastors have heard of him. I went to an evangelism conference and he told a story about preaching a revival up in Indiana. And he said it was a large church, about a thousand or more. And he said that something strange happened that day, and they told him after the service that it had never happened before. But he said he was standing there, and he said the worship leader was seated on stage, and that worship leader just slipped out of his chair and down on his knees, right in the middle of the service. And then that worship leader finally went all the way down to his face. And he said a strange awareness came over the service. And he said, finally, he didn't know what to do, and he felt like to even say a word was intruding, and so he just stopped. He said he backed up, and said he got on his knees, and said finally he went to his face. And one by one, something swept over that congregation. And people started falling on their faces. And he said at one point he looked up in a church of a thousand more, there was not one person who was seated. They were on their knees or on their face before the Lord. Nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew why. There was no objective uh, that somebody had uh, perpetrated. It was just happening. And what Jim Hilden said is the presence of God. The glory of God came into that place. And, and if you ask me if I believe that story, my answer is yes. And I think you would have too if you had heard him tell the story. But, but another reason is, is because it lines up with God's Word. Who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? Our God is a glorious God. Amen? Amen? Our, our, our God is an amazing God. I, I want to 
share with you four statements right out of the Bible. And I want you to listen to these statements. Here's the first one. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. Do you see that? Here's the next one. The mountains quake before Him. Here's the next one. He uttered His voice. The earth melted. The last one. And the mountains will melt under Him and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. I ask you, friends, why do you think such statements are in the Bible? Because God wants us to know who He is, how high He is, how holy He is. And when God steps in on the scene, all of creation, everything that He has made, bows in His presence. He's a holy He's a holy God. Here at River of Life, I would love for you to join me in a commitment that we will never lose that sense of reverence. What what is it about the modern day church that insists on bringing God down, diminishing Him to the point that He's just one of our casual buddies and we can just be flippant about our relationship with Him? Where does that come from? It certainly doesn't come from Scripture. Everything melts. Everything quakes. Everything shivers. Everything dissolves in His presence. Let's make a commitment. To never lose the reverence. To never lose the sense of awe. To never lose the sense of wonder and amazement in the presence of our God. John Piper says it better than I can. Listen up. The glory of God is the manifest beauty of His holiness. It's the going public of His holiness. It's it's the way He puts His holiness on display for, for people to apprehend. The heavens are telling the glory of God. What does that mean? It means He's shouting at us. He shouts with clouds. He shouts with blue expanse. He shouts with gold on the horizons. He shouts with galaxies and stars. He's shouting, I am glorious. Open your eyes. Do you see it? Do you love it? You were made for this. I'm made for this. This is why I exist, to see that. Everything is pointing to that. All the glory that I thought was so attractive is going there. This is all husks and ashes. Now we see through a glass, darkly, then, face to face, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. So, the glory that's coming is of such an all-satisfying, infinitely beautiful, totally need-meeting and joy-producing kind. Eighty years of pain will be as nothing. This might 
is aiming that we see and savor and treasure his glory, the riches of his glory. So I ask, do you see it? Do you love it? And I'll say again, you were made for this. And Malachi is telling the nation that the Savior is coming to prepare you, to get you ready to experience the glory of God, to recognize the glory of God, to worship Him, to minister to Him as it were. I know that's a strange statement, but in the Bible it talks about Him ministering to the Lord. And the only way you can do that is when Jesus has touched your heart and done a cleansing work in your heart. Oh, friends, who can stand when He appears? Who can abide the day of His coming? And the answer to that is none of us. None of us can do that. But what we can do is be honest. Let Him do His work in us. Let Him reveal what needs to be revealed and then humble ourselves before God and have an encounter with the Holy God that changes us. I'm sure you've heard this statement many times. It's not about you. And I want to tell you something, friends. I agree with that. I understand that. I think it's true. It's not about you. It's not about me. You are not at the center of the universe. The world does not revolve around you. You are not the most important factor in the equation. But listen up. When it comes to salvation, it is all about you. It is all about you. Jesus came into the world to save you. Jesus came into the world to give you hope. Jesus came into the world to give you new life. Jesus came into the world so that after you've messed up, He can take that mess and make something beautiful out of it. Jesus came, lived, and died so that He could forgive you and justify you and make you white as snow and to make you holy and presentable before the Father. Jesus came into the world so He could give you a new heart. He came to turn your life around and make something beautiful out of you. He came to tell you what's wrong with you. He he came to convince you that without Him you're going in the wrong direction and He's the only one who can fix you. Jesus came into the world to reveal to you, to open your eyes and your understanding to the fact that you are part of a fallen race and that you are broken and He's the only one who can put you back together. He's the only one who can bind up your broken heart. He's the only one who can set you free. He's the only one who can open your prison doors. He's the only one who can take the rubble and mess and garbage of our lives and make something beautiful out of it. He's the only one who can do that. You see, when Jesus shows up, it's usually sudden, and it's almost always shocking. Do you know why it's shocking? 
Because if we're honest, most of us feel pretty good about ourselves, don't we? But when he shows up, we don't feel pretty good about ourselves. I'm sorry. I know that doesn't fit the modern psychology of modern day Christianity. But when he shows up, we break, don't we? (laughs) I mean, when he really shows up in your life, you break. You fall. You crumble. You melt. You see how undone you are. Woe is me! For I'm a man of unclean lips. Do you know who said that? The greatest prophet living on planet earth at that time. Isaiah. Woe is me. I am so undone. Now, what's the purpose? Why does he come to witness against us? To show us what's wrong with us? To show us how frail we are? How flawed we are? What's the purpose of that? To set the stage for God to do the greatest work done on planet earth. So that on that stage, when we come to that awareness, that God can transform and save the soul of a fallen human being and make it something good and beautiful in the eyes of God. I hope you'll listen to these next few words, friends. The psychology of the world is this. You can read it all over the internet. The modern day psychology of the world is this. You should reject, you should reject all feelings of shame and regret and failure and guilt and depression. You should reject all of those feelings because they're crippling. They will poison you if you have those feelings. And you'll never be fulfilled and you'll never be happy if you have those feelings. And there's a part of that I kind of agree with, but listen to this. When Jesus shows up, those are the exact feelings you're going to have. Because He's going to show you every flaw. He, I've, seen, I've seen people just turn into a puddle, a blubbering mess at the altar because they caught a glimpse of the glory of God and they saw how undone they were. You, you see, the fact is, when Jesus shows up, He shows us, you're worse than you think you are. Doesn't that make you feel good? You're worse than you think you are. And He will show you who you really are. And when you accept that, when you own it, when you're honest about it, when you're ready to confess, when you're ready to be broken, when you understand you can't stand in His presence and you can't abide His coming. And it's at that moment that you can lift your eyes and look upon a Savior and call upon Him. And say, Lord, I absolutely, positively cannot do this. I can't save myself, Lord. Please save me. Please help me. Listen to this. I I think these are some of the most beautiful words in all the Bible, and they're found in our text today. Here's what it says. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Would you read that with me? Let's read it out loud. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Now, can I just remind you of who he's talking to? He's talking to people who had been dabbling with evil. He's talking to people who had been living immoral lives. He's talking to people who were dishonest and habitual liars. 
He's talking to those who are exploiting others for their own gain and their own benefit. He's talking to those who are taking advantage of the weak. And he's talking to those who had turned away aliens and strangers and refused to help them. And even though they were guilty of all of that, the prophet says, if you will return to the Lord, He will return to you. Friends, the Lord wants us to understand how holy He is. He wants us to understand how glorious He is. And He wants us to understand that He can miraculously change our lives. Would you bow with me in prayer? Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.